The Bible reading today is taken from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23, and can be found on page 1435. We are using the NIV translation for those on your phones. Beginning to read at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, It is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Are people basically good? Are humans basically good? You've got uh, 45 seconds to discuss that with the people next to you. Are people, are people basically good, yes or no? wonder what you came up with. Um, I've got a survey in front of me. So everybody put, put their hands up and put your hand down. If you think less than... This is what a survey of people in Britain and the U.S. said. So keep your hands up. Everybody hands up. 
If you think less than 20% of people think people are basically good, put your hand down. Okay, less than 40%. Less than 60%. Less than 80%. Less than 90%. Okay, interesting. We've got a, a graph, to graph to show you. That's how you say it. Not graph, not graph. Graph. Okay. So educate these. Okay. Uh, so it's a bit of a difference. Uh, USA and Britain are about the same, but interestingly, um, the younger you are, the more cynical you are about people, apparently. So the sort of teal bit is um, people who say um, human nature is essentially sympathetic and cooperative versus self-serving and uncooperative. Well, today we're going to see what Jesus' answers to that question is. Are people basically good? Um, in Mark so far, we've seen that Jesus is God's promised saviour king. He's the son of man, the one with all authority over all creation. Um, and we've seen him show this. I don't know how you went on with your homework reading chapter 6, which we've missed out in the sermon series. Um, but we've seen Jesus' uh, authority again and his, um, how he's the son of man. We've had contrasted for us Herod's horror show of a feast, showing selfish ambition being people-pleasing, compromise and self-honor at any cost, which has resulted in John the Baptist's beheading. And then contrasting, straight after that, we've got Jesus feeding 5,000 miraculously, a feast of generous, servant-hearted, compassionate provision. Um, just as God provided for his people in the Exodus wilderness, Jesus provides for these people coming to hear him in the wilderness. So we've got danger and death in the palace, rescue and life in the desert. So if that's who Jesus is, you'd reckon he'd be the one with all the answers, with the answers to the question, are people basically good? And more importantly, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? But also in chapter 6, as well as these good things about Jesus, we've seen lots of unbelief and hard-heartedness. And there's more of that now as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to try and catch Jesus out. So you first head in there, they're checking out his disciples and they're concerned about a failed health inspection. A failed health inspection. So verse 5. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands. Now, we all know it's a good idea to wash your hands before you eat, especially, you now it's all in the news all the time at the moment. But there's more going on here than just basic hygiene. See, God had, in the Old Testament, given his people ceremonial laws to follow when approaching him, and they involved ceremonial washing. Uh, there were categories for them of clean and unclean. And all of this was to help them see how sin comes between God and humanity. And that sin needs dealing with before we can be in right relationship with God. It helped God's people to understand how pure and good and holy God is. How we can have nothing to do with sin. So being defiled, that just meant you're in the category of be having become ceremonially unclean. 
there was a problem to deal with before you could approach God. So it was a sort of social and practical category that pointed to a spiritual reality. So fast forward from that law being written to Jesus' time, uh, Jews would, see, see, would seek to make themselves ceremonially clean after being in contact with, with non-Jewish people and things. You see, the Pharisees reckoned they knew what was wrong with the world. They reckoned what was wrong with the world was that people were not following the rules. And so they'd invented hundreds of rules in order to make sure that everyone kept God's law. Um, and that's what, when it says in that verse, tradition of the elders, that's what it's on about. So they'd made rules about keeping the rules, about keeping the rules. But the trouble is, in doing so, they'd muddied the waters. So uh, you remember with um, fasting, the only biblical um, imperative to fast, like a, as a rule, was once a year, but they were doing it twice a week. They'd taken... Um, the law concept and put it on steroids, as it were. So they'd taken the defilement concept and really bigged it up. So it was no longer, it's muddied the water, so it's no longer about living to please God. But following these washing rules had become about staying out of trouble with the religious leaders. So the law intended to point people to God and show how good he was had been hidden away by endless rules which helped you forget about God or even begrudge God. It had become all about the practicalities and the spiritual reality it represented kind of forgotten about. So in actual fact, the only laws about washing for defilement is, is in Exodus, and it's only for the priests as they're serving and yet now, the religious leaders have made it so that just popping out to the shops was a real drag. And Mark explains, verse 3, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, if it moves, wash it. If it doesn't move, wash it anyway. So when Jesus' Jesus' disciples aren't joining in with this circus, it prompts another flashpoint where the religious authorities are questioning Jesus' authority, questioning his righteousness, whether he he and his disciples were in right standing before God. So the religious leaders have shrunk down being in right relationship with God to being about to what extent you have or haven't kept a heap of Rules that are almost impossible to keep. Rules that they themselves have made up. So it's worth examining ourselves this morning. Is there any way in which we're doing that? Have we let anything sneak in that um, we think being a Christian is all about following certain rules? Have we imported anything into our faith any rules which must be obeyed of our own? Have we imported any rules which we've elevated to the status of, if I do this, I will be in the right? In other words, have we imported any attempts to save ourselves? 
Because if we have, like that ritual cleansing of the Pharisees, like someone wearing an ill-fitting face mask down the street to avoid coronavirus, it might help us feel better for our, about ourselves and feel self-satisfied. But in reality, we'll offer no rescue at all. So as we meet Jesus in Mark, as we meet God the Son, let's keep asking, what does he say is the problem with the world? And what does he say the solution is? But as with them, the other episodes of opposition to Jesus, Jesus is a master at turning the tables, isn't he? Giving an answer that exposes the truth about his accusers and shows where the problem really is. And Jesus' verdict is that they are failed health inspectors. Actually, next heading, just get me water. Failed health inspectors. Verse 6, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Uh, the quote Jesus is giving there, Isaiah had been prophesying hundreds of years earlier about God's people who were just paying lip service, just going through the motions and thinking that was enough to keep God happy so that he didn't bother them living the rest of the life the way they wanted to. So they were like, I don't know if you've seen The Godfather, and the mafia bosses make great displays of religious devotions at church whilst donating extorted and stolen money stained with murder. Um, where we, I grew up in Manchester, the, the Catholic church down the road, the new Catholic priest who came in there caused a great stir because he would only give mass to people who attended the whole service. So apparently what had been happening was that the older fellas were used to just popping in at 25 past 11, uh, having the communion, having the mass, and getting to the pub as it was opening so they could get a few pints down and before lunch. Starting the cycle all over again until they go back next Sunday and get themselves cleaned up again. Well, Jesus is saying that is what the Pharisees are being like. He's calling them out on placing great emphasis on external, outward things that are supposed to show their devotion to God. Whereas, in fact, they've got no love for God. It's not about God. It's about them. And worse still, what they've actually done is replace God's good law, which pointed people to him and to his grace. And they've replaced that with man-made rules, which have become an end in themselves. Verse 9, he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. These have been sarcastic. You know, yeah, you're really good at breaking the law. They care more about their made-up rules than they care about God. They're hypocrites, like actors in a play. They claim their, their rule, their rule following is for God's sake. But Jesus gives an example of how their man-made rules have actually stopped people following God's good law. See, God's law isn't random. Um, his law made sure, for example, parents were well cared for. 
but the Pharisees' rules are making it so that, so that the Pharisees don't miss out, but some needy parents might miss out. So Jesus is saying, your determination to be right in your own eyes has made you wrong in God's eyes. So it's like uh, Sharon, my wife Sharon here, kept telling me over the years, she's not really all that bothered about ice cream. She'll eat it, but she doesn't really like it. But I never listened to that until this year, actually. So for years, when we've been going out, to make me feel good about how thoughtful and kind I am, I've been saying, oh, let's go for ice cream. Won't that be a treat for you? When all it was was actually me wanting ice cream and the exact opposite of being caring and thoughtful. But more seriously, what might be our version of ceremonial washing? What extra requirements might we have come up with? And how do we make sure we don't end up with a load of man-made rules to please ourselves like the Pharisees? Well, a couple of things. Uh, what I don't want to do is put down any encouragement for godly living. You know, the Bible's really clear. There are ways of living that God loves and they honor him. And it's very clear that there are ways of living that God hates and they're bad for us and they dishonor him. So there is object, objective right and wrong. But it's our heart reason for the things that we do that Jesus cares about. And so our aim at Trinity Church Woolcroft is to never forget that everything we do is in loving, grateful response to God's grace. To do good because he has been good first. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And how this really shows up is in how we relate to those who, who do not yet know Jesus who don't yet believe. I mean, when you read the Pharisees questioning Jesus, what tone do you read that in? It gets you back up, doesn't it? It gets up your nose. Because you can hear that they think the dynamic is they're in the right with all the answers and they're trying to catch Jesus out in being wrong. And we need to make, approach every conversation making sure we don't come across like that every conversation about faith, knowing that without Jesus, we're completely lost ourselves. And I think often saying that, making it clear that that's where you're coming from. Always being clear our lives are lived in response to grace that we don't deserve. And we can avoid being Pharisees by knowing our Bibles See, if the, if the Pharisees had bothered to remember the scriptures about caring for parents, then they wouldn't have made up a daft rule which put them at risk. If they'd have bothered to read Exodus 13, 19 and 40, chapter 40, verse 12, they'd have known that it was only serving priests and not every poor sap coming home from the market that was supposed to wash, do the ceremonial washing. We've got a great tendency to make things harder than they need to be. And it's because grace... It's difficult to accept, isn't it? It means swallowing your pride. It means admitting that you need saving and you can't save yourself. And so we create schemes to make us feel better about ourselves. Well, we need to hold everything we do up to the light of Scripture, to know our Bibles, and to know if what we're doing 
is pleasing to God or if it's just man-made. So if you come on our Belong course, you'll, you'll hear about how we sort of uh, plan and think about our ministry around five purposes that all begin with the letter M. And they're just sort of summary titles. And what they're there for is to help us keep checking um, if the purpose behind everything we do lines up with God's purposes for his church in Scripture. It's just to help us stop, drop, stop us dropping the ball of checking things against the Bible. So Jesus has called the religious leaders out on their play-acting, uh, honoring God, when really it's all about themselves. And now at last he deals with the issue that they've raised, the issue of defilement, and tells us what is the real center of disease. Our next heading, the center of disease. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. See, the Pharisees have got the diagnosis wrong, so they've come up with the wrong cure. They thought the problem was we don't follow enough rules, and if we only follow enough, that will make us right with God. But Jesus says the problem comes not from the outside, but from inside us. And he words it even stronger to his disciples, verse 18. Are you so dull, he asks. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside, that enters a person on the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. Uh, out of the body is actually a very polite translation. The, lit, the original Greek literally says, down the toilet. And the translators have softened it for you. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, Deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. The heart of the problem is the problem of our heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of our heart. Uh, it's said that the Times newspaper, no one's quite sure if this is true or not, but it's said that the Times newspaper once sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what is wrong with the world today? And the philosopher and theologian G.K. Chesterton responded simply, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. You know, we've got, uh, I think, four more babies on the way at Woodcroft this year. And I know you'll do your best to nurture them um, and get them to be ready for school when the time comes. But if you ask any parent here, one thing you won't have to teach your children is how to do wrong, is how to sin. You know, when uh, Robert and Owen were little, we avoided giving them guns. But if you give them clipped-together textures or Lego, what's the first thing they make with it? A gun. Because every one of us 
is tainted with uh, our own inbuilt rebellion against God. And there are endless debates about nature versus nurture in sociology and the, uh, how much how we behave is determined by our genes or our upbringing or our socialization. And humanity has always thought there was a man-made solution um, just within reach. So, you know, if only we can be educated enough, everything will be all right. If only we're healthy enough, everything will be okay. If, everything we, if only we're rich enough, everything will be okay. If only we're all white enough, everything will be okay. Rubbish, Jesus says. Our hearts are so sick with sin, there is no human cure. You know, our culture values the individual as sort of the primary way of identifying yourself. Our culture says, look inside yourself, find your true self, and express that true self as strongly as possible. And you're especially considered to be a hero if you're expressing that individuality is in conflict with other ways of forming identity, like your family or your tribe. But Jesus says, if you look deep inside to find your true self, what you'll find is evil thoughts. And expressing those thoughts in action is why the world is in such a mess. And we see this one, we squeeze, don't we? If you think of me holding a bottle of water here, I didn't want to get you wet, so I've not done it. And if I squeeze it, we see what comes out when we're put under pressure. We see it in ourselves, especially when no one's watching, don't we? Uh, when we're under pressure and when no one's watching, and I think, this is my theory, of why we're often at our worst in the car. Now, come on. Admit it. You know, we've got the pressure of getting somewhere, of finding a park. And, and, and actually, sort of in your subconscious, the pressure of keeping safe in what is potentially a life-threatening activity. And we often do it on our own, when no one can hear what you say to that person who's just cut you up. It reveals our hearts. Now, I'm sorry if you've come here for an inspirational pep talk this morning, and I've just told you how you're evil. But me tickling your ears about what a great person you really are, and you're really you're only limited by external influences on you. I told you that. It's not going to help you. Only the truth is really going to help you. If our hearts are so sick, if the problem is so deep and so radical, what is the cure? Our final heading, what's the cure? Well, the cure is the gospel. That is the good, important news that in Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. Later on in chapter 10, the disciples are kind of asking kind of the same question. They say, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, Jesus came with the authority to forgive us for all that evil that comes from our hearts. And on the cross, he took on himself 
all the defilement that that sin brings. He paid the price for it. So that when we trust and believe in him, we are washed clean from the inside out. When we stand before God, we get Jesus' perfect, untarnished record as if we've always had his perfect, clean heart. But that's not all. When we turn from sin, believe in Jesus and trust in him to save us, he comes to live in us by his spirit. He makes come true God's promises. There's an example, I've got a slide of Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus fundamentally, spiritually rebirths us with new life. Now, for now, the old self is still there, and we'll still struggle in tension with our sinful nature until Christ returns to bring his kingdom rule in all its fullness. But it's not a hopeless struggle. The promise is God will keep making us more like Jesus. And it's a struggle with a known outcome. We will be resurrected, sinless, in perfect relationship with God. So to finish then, four reasons why it's important to know what Jesus tells us. When Jesus tells us, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Four reasons we need to know this. Number one, if you don't realize this, you'll keep falling headlong into sin. You know, your defenses will be down, and your evil thoughts will play out unfettered. Whereas if we're realistic about the state of our hearts, we can proactively put things in place to mitigate sin for those times when we are alone, for those times when we are under pressure. So knowing that helps you not fall headlong into sin. It's also worth knowing because it makes us humble. It stops us being self-righteous, sounding like a Pharisee. I think we'll go about telling everybody else how to get things right a lot less when we realize we are sinners saved only by grace. And that'll help us to get, to have, get Jesus a much better hearing than starting the argument with ethics and morality. So it stops us sinning, uh, keeps us humble. Three, it helps us see that all the evil see in the world is a signpost to a real problem. The problem between us and God. The problem of sin that separates us from, us, from him. It helps us know there's no point rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic by trying to fix evil and its consequences if we haven't dealt with our relationship with God. It's a signpost. And lastly... Knowing what Jesus says helps us know that our most fundamental need is forgiveness and turning to Jesus for his grace. See, if you do think you are basically good, you won't think you'll need saving. Jesus says each of us is fundamentally bad. 
but he doesn't leave it there. He came in person to give himself up to save us, to give us his fundamental goodness. Trust and believe in him. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you humbly um, where we've had too high an opinion of ourselves. We're sorry and we repent of that evil that comes from our hearts. But we come before you with confidence knowing that Jesus has done everything and cleanses us from the inside out and it's on him we stand. It's on him we trust. And we just want to live lives that bring you glory. Please diminish evil in us. Please cleanse our hearts. Amen.